0: I was just over there. I was just getting really emotional about that. I mean, had to play that video, didn't you, Adam? I mean, goodness, that's what it's all about, church—moving from from death to life. And 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 next next Sunday, church, we just get this tremendous opportunity to see people proclaim Jesus in their lives through baptism. Amen. I've said it before um, to my team um, and to other people that. A church that is not baptizing people, it's a very good indication that that church is dying, okay? So we got seven people that we know of so far that have signed up for Believer's Baptism. So give the Lord a hand. Come on. That is good. Well, this is different, right? Okay. Okay. I uh, Before I get started this morning, I just wanted to uh, introduce myself. Most of y'all know me, but just in case we have any visitors in here, uh, my name is John Thompson. I have been the worship pastor here. I've had the privilege of being y'all's worship pastor for a little over three years now. Um, I have a beautiful wife who's holding my beautiful daughter upstairs, and we just celebrated our eight-year anniversary. I mean, amen, right? Some people don't make it that far. Um, And I have two very beautiful daughters, as I said. Uh, Aria, who is here on the left, she's four. And then Aaron here on the right, and she just turned one. I'm a very blessed man. Um, I'm excited to be getting into God's word this morning with you folks. Um, So let's get started with our topic, shall we? Obedience, right? According to Matthew Henry who is a very well-respected Bible commentator, he said, love is the root and obedience is the fruit. So let me say that again. Love is the root and obedience is the fruit. Christina Rossetti said something very similar. She was an English poet during the 19th century, and she said, obedience is the fruit of faith. So obedience, our favorite nine-letter word, right? Um, The culture that we live in does not elevate the thought of obedience, do they? Unless it is obedience to a popular thought or whatever is in at the moment, then we can be obedient to that. The thought of submission is deplorable to many. I would even venture that in this room that the thought of just submitting yourself to something is very deplorable. Um, But it's not just our culture, church. Our original sin nature, it rakes and it rebels against this thought of being obedient. We want to be independent. We want to do what we want to do. We want want to be on our timetable, don't we? Not somebody else's. We want the best, right? We want the best for our careers. We want the best for our bodies. We want the best for our families, But church, aren't we so often unwilling to walk into the realm of obedience that will lead to the best for us? We're not always willing to do what it takes, whatever it takes to walk into obedience. Am I right? Whether we're being obedient to the commands of our boss or our parents or to God, it can be a very hard thing to do. So parents, I got a question for you. Do your children always obey you? I don't, I didn't think so. Okay, now teenagers, do you always obey your parents? (laughs) Always, always. What about respect to your teachers? Okay, respect to your teachers. Maybe sometimes, maybe not all the time. We're not perfect, right? So we see the original sin at work in disobedience even before a child says a word. I know this firsthand because, as I said, I have two daughters, okay? Very young daughters. And one of them doesn't speak yet. This is Aaron. Look at her. She's just so mis- mischievous. I, I, I want to make sure I say that, right, that word right. She's so mischievous right here. She's looking at Joanne. She's like, that's my car. All right, I'm going to drive off in this, this new car of yours, Joanne. She doesn't speak yet. I can tell when when I've asked her that she understands. I'll, I'll tell her, Aaron, Aaron, come here, come here, Aaron. Bring me the remote control, and she will. She'll have that remote control, and she'll turn and look the other way, and she'll laugh and she'll run the other way. Just thinks it's hilarious. Now, some may think that that's that's cute, and let's be honest, it pretty it is pretty cute it is pretty cute, but the reality is that's an example of disobedience, church, before the child speaks. This is a picture of Aria. See, whenever you get a chance to speak in front of the church, you can put your kids up on the screen, all right? So I get, I, I'm i going to do it, all right? I have beautiful children. So this is a picture of Aria. Earlier this week, I was, I was searching for examples of disobedience. What's, come on, uh, God, give me something. And then Aria helps me out. She starts running around with an uncooked egg, and I hear her mother yell, like calling out to her, and saying, "You need to put that egg back in the refrigerator, Aria." And and uh, she was told several times to put the egg back in, in in the refrigerator before she dropped it, made it all over the carpet, and uh, and this is what she replied with. She said, "But I want a chicken." She said, "But Daddy, I want a chicken." Mommy, I want a chicken. She was trying to be good to the egg so that it would hatch into a chicken. These are my children, all right? I'm sure the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right, mom and dad? My mom and dad are here, by the way, and my sister. I love you guys very much. Um, so often I will tell Aria to obey, but she responds with, but daddy, why? I don't want to, Okay. I must have the only child in the world that responds that way, right? um, So we do the same thing with grace, don't we? We do the exact same thing with grace. We ask for forgiveness. We sin. We ask for forgiveness. We sin. We ask for forgiveness. And it goes on and on and on and on. Matthew Henry's quote on love being the root and obedience being the fruit, it tells me that we may have very weak trees with very little fruit, that our love for God does not go down deep enough into our lives to break this sin cycle, church. And if we're honest, many of us, if we were honest, would say, yes, I'm living inside of that sin cycle right now. This morning, we're going to walk through the scriptures. We'll be in Romans six fourteen through 23, um, so if you want to open up your Bibles and get there, and Nolan, could you give me a, a, a drink of water, please? I'd appreciate it very much. So let's see what God has to say today, all right? So, But first, let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you now, Lord and God. I just pray in this room, God, that we... Would listen and heed to your words, God. That my words would would fall on the ground. Anything that I have planned, God, if you don't want me to say it, God, that I would not say it. God, I just pray that that uh, chains would come broken in this place, and that God, God, that people would find ultimate obedience and walk away from ultimate disobedience in this place in this place this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, Amen. So Paul begins with a hope-filled statement, a statement that should cause us to say, amen. Yes, I agree with that. Thank you. I agree with that. But what God intends for good, Satan wants to manipulate in our minds into evil. He wants us to question every trustworthy statement of our creator. And he's been doing it from the beginning. Think back to the Garden of Eden, okay? said Eden, right? Yeah, all the way to the back of the Garden of Eden. Is that really what God said? That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to question every trustworthy statement of our creator. So what is this hope-filled statement? Let's look at verse 14 together. After I drink some water, if that's all right with y'all. It says, sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Amen, right? There's nothing to question about that. This is good news, church. Sin isn't going to own you. It's not going to have dominion over you. The, The King James Version says it like that, that sin no longer has dominion over you. Because you're no longer on the law of the Old Testament, but you're under grace. This is good news, church. But as I said, what God intends for good, Satan wants to manipulate in our minds, and that distorted view of the truth is what Paul addresses throughout chapter 6. The question that drives this chapter is this. Because of grace, don't I have the license to sin? That's the question that drives the entire chapter. The thought goes like this. If, if God's grace is truly more powerful than my sin, then that must mean that I can do whatever I want, right? Okay. That's that's the line of thinking. If His grace is truly abounding, it's overflowing my sin, and there's nothing that I if it's more powerful than my sin, and if I could if I sin as much as I want, it'll still be overbounding my sin. Then don't I have a license to sin? That's what He's saying here. So let me ask you this question. Why do you think the Apostle Paul had to address this question to the church at Rome? He addresses this question twice in this chapter, two times, okay? So if Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, addresses something twice in the same chapter, then church, I think that that's something that we need to lean in on, amen? We, need, we know that the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit and that it has application to us today. The first time that he asks this question is in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? I imagine, okay, just, just take that question and think about this. Why is that question coming out of Paul? Other than the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostle Paul. I imagine that he's had some very interesting takes on God's grace. I think that he's probably heard from some people that said, you know, we want to make God look really, really good. Okay, so what what do we need to do to make God look really, really good? Well, if his if we abound in sinning, then God's grace is going to cover it. So if we want to make God look really good, we could sin so much and say God is still good. All right. I just imagine my, my imagination takes off when I read that verse and then in verse 15, sin. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Now, I've heard people battle with this, this thing, and I myself have struggled with this throughout my life. And, you know, if if this is something that the first century Christians dealt with all the way to us in 2017, then I would submit to you that Solomon Uh, The Bible is found to be true yet again because Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1.9 that history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. The Bible is true, folks. Satan's tactics on the church of Rome are the same tactics that he uses to this day. So let's go back and read verse 15. It says, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? So do I have a license to sin? He answers this question at the end of verse 15. Paul says, of course not. I mean, no, grace is not a license to sin, church at Rome. It shouldn't be a surprise to us though, church, that in scripture, the answer is an emphatic no. But when you're told no, what is the natural response? What's the natural response? No. No. Why? Exactly. But why? As my children and so many others would ask. Paul says, okay, I'll play. You want to know why? This is why. Verse 16 says, don't you realize that you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Paul says, Church at Rome, don't you understand that you will be slaves of whatever you choose to obey? See, church, we would like to think that we're rebels, that we don't obey anybody except ourselves. I thought of doing that. But the reality is, is that whenever you make a choice, you're obeying one or the other, okay? Okay. And if you choose to do what you want to do, the reality is, is that you are chaining yourselves up to sin. You're saying, okay, all right, I'll be a slave to sin. The reality is, is that everything is obeying. There are two choices in the scripture of obedience and no others. And trust me, because I looked, because I wanted to see in the scriptures, are there any other choices? Is there any gray area? Paul leaves no gray area. There is sin which leads to death, as we read, and obey God which leads to righteousness. So what is biblical obedience? I want to jump into that a little bit because whenever I was studying this, I said, okay, I know what obedience is to me. But I know that the scriptures were written in Koine Greek to a specific people. Koine Greek, it just means common Greek. So it's like us speaking to each other in English, okay? So I know that our English words don't always capture the full picture of what that word means. So I did a, a little bit of a study, and this is what I found. Obedience. Okay, this is the Greek word for obedience right here, and its transliteration is pytho, okay? It literally means to be persuaded of what What is trustworthy? Persuasion. That right there, church, you need to grab onto that because that's going to be very important throughout this entire message. The Lord persuades the yielded believer to be confident in his preferred will for their life. Pytho involves obedience, but it's properly the result of God's persuasion. Look at this. This is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 8. 38 through 39. When he says that, and I am convinced. Okay, that word convinced right there, that's the that is pytho. Okay, that is obedience. In the King James Version, they use the word persuaded. I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am obedient that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can we say, thank you, God. Come on, let's put our hands together for the Lord. In this, In this understanding of the word obedience, in the light of divine persuasion, because that's what it is, it's divine persuasion is what obedience is. In light of this, it would be wrong of the Apostle Paul, and wrong seems like such a small and insignificant word. It should be so much bigger, but it would be wrong of Paul to believe anything else. Obedience takes place in the heart. That's what I found in here. Obedience takes place in the heart. It would be disobedience to believe anything else that leads us to disobedience. The Greek word that Paul uses for disobedience is where we get our English word apathy. Okay. It's very interesting. I didn't see it. I was showing Rachel, my beautiful wife. Okay. Um, all the different words. And she said, that looks like the word apathy. And it just turns out that that's where we get our word from. The Merriam-Webster defines apathy as lack of interest or concern. Indifferent. I am just, I have no concern for that. Indifferent. Mm. Um, so the the, the 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 Greek word for disobedience is this, and its transliteration is apotheo. It's very close and very similar to the Greek word for obedience, which was pytho, remember? So of a, uh, that a right there, it literally means no, not. And pytho meant to be persuaded. This word literally means I am not persuaded. I'm not persuaded. It's obstinate opposition to the divine will. I am obstinately opposed to, to what you have to say to me, God, willful unbelief, the refusal to be convinced by God's voice. It is literally turning your ear away from what God wants to say to you. And I found this so interesting. Somebody said that this word literally means man's decision to reject God's offer of faith. It is ultimate disobedience. A proper understanding of what biblical obedience is illuminates the scriptures, doesn't it? It's like, okay, this is persuasion. Okay, that's what obedience is. Um, the understanding of what biblical obedience is sheds light on the meaning of the next two verses. In the NIV um, translation, in the next two verses, it said, Paul says this, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have become obedient from the heart. Okay, remember, obedience takes place in the heart, church, so so pay attention to that. Obedient from the heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He thanks God that this was a former way for them and that they are no longer servants of sin, but have obeyed unto salvation. They have been persuaded unto salvation. He's speaking to persuasion of salvation in the form of obedience. Amazing. To me, my mind went, I thought that was amazing. Maybe not to y'all, but to me, I was like, oh, wow, God, that that is awesome. Okay. Paul is saying, which master will you choose? Cornerstone, um, Did you know, did you know that even if you've accepted God's amazing grace into your life, that you can still be slaves to sin? You can. It happens all the time. You'll still be God's adopted child. You'll still be his child, but you will be choosing disobedience to the voice of the Lord in your life. And if it goes on for too long, church, let me tell you what'll happen. His voice will become so distant. It'll become a whisper. And then it will, you won't hear it. That's a scary place to be. Just like the Roman church. And coming back to the Roman church, Paul said that they could choose to be slaves unto righteousness instead though. Listening and heeding the voice of God in their lives, Listening to and obeying the voice of the Lord, it leads to blessing. The alternative, though, guys, is that if you don't listen to the voice of the Lord, you disobey, it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. There is no other avenue that we find in the scriptures that disobeying God leads to. He says it leads to death. So like I said, you cannot lose your salvation over your disobedience, which thank you, Lord, because if that were not the case, we would all be in trouble. We'd be getting saved every day, right? Oh, Lord, I did that again. Save me, okay? Uh, but if you are saved, you're his child now and forever, okay? And John 10:29 says this. This is, for my father has given them to me And he is more powerful than anyone else. Thank you, Lord. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. I think that we can say that Jesus is a trustworthy source, right? You can't lose your salvation, church. Now, going back to the the book of Romans, chapter 6, Paul calls for repentance. Paul makes his message clear very direct because of their weakness to understand. This is funny, okay? In verse 19 in the NIV, Paul says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Can I ask you this, can you imagine if pastor or any one of us came out on this stage and said, hey, I'm gonna speak to you like little kids, like little children, because of your weakness to understand. (laughs) That's what Paul is doing right here. He's cutting straight to the point. He's trying to get their attention. He's not beating around the bush. He's being incredibly direct in hopes that they would understand. It's kind of like when pastor says, clap your hands, church, for the Lord. He's trying to wake you up so that you'll listen. Okay? Just a side note. If you didn't know, that's why he does that. He's saying that you guys have messed up church at Rome. And by the way, when I keep saying church at Rome, that's who he's writing to. But the reality is, is cornerstone church. He's speaking through time to us today. In verse 19, it continues to say, Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves. To be slaves to righteous living, so that you will become holy. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not leading to a salvation by works message. I just want to make that clear. And it will become abundantly clear by the end that it is not. He's saying, guys, shackle yourselves back up to Christ. It's far better. That's what Paul is saying. Here lies the proof. That that this was a problem in the church at Rome, that they yielded themselves to sin in the past rather than servants to righteousness, even though they were followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? If this was to be a message about salvation by works, he would not be addressing any of this. He'd be addressing that you're losing your salvation. Okay? He's not doing that. He's saying, you guys need to repent. Paul is saying, turn the other way, Church of Rome and Cornerstone. We need to heed the same call upon our lives, don't we? We need to turn. What is that for you today? I want you to think about that. What is that for you today? And I want it to just kind of dwell inside of your mind. For just let it let it register for just a little bit, okay? I want you to get you thinking about it right now. Some of you are like, oh, he's coming too close. I'm not. All right. Um, some of you have been wondering this entire time, ah, what in the world is he ever going to acknowledge the fruit bowls. What is up with the fruit bowls? He's standing between two fruit bowls. One looks disgusting. I'm like about to throw up. And then there's one over here that looks like it's full of a lot of good stuff. And actually, I'm pretty hungry, okay? So I really wish that he would just pass around that fruit bowl because I'm hungry. I'll get to the fruit bowls. And you'll see why. We're going to get to the fruit bowls. Paul switches from slavery Obedience, repentance to fruit. Specifically, the fruit of the former life and the fruit of life in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the former life. Paul continues in verse 20. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Paul speaks, he gives them a pro he gives the church at Rome a pro about their former life. He said, "You want one good thing that you had before. It was that you were not a slave to Jesus Christ." Okay? So we're like, "Whoa, Paul, what what are you doing? Why are you why are you giving them a thumbs up for anything? He's not. He's getting to a point." He says, "But then, but then Paul hits them with the dagger here. He says in verse 21, And what was the result? Okay, that word result right there, okay? That word, it it has been translated in other translations as benefit. What was the result? What was the benefit? The King James Version takes it to fruit. What was the fruit? What was the benefit of your former life? Paul is saying, oh, wait, I did not finish that verse. And what was the result? Result. You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. He's saying, look all the way down the road. You see all the way down there? That's where it leads. It leads to eternal doom, okay? And again, not a workspace message, but the ultimate is eternal doom. Paul's saying, okay, church at Rome, what kind of life was that Really? The things that you used to do, you're now ashamed of. Your fruit was producing rotten fruit. Why are you going back to a life that produces this kind of fruit? You're over here saying, grace abounds my sin. But why are you going back to this fruit? Cornerstone, why are you going back to a life that produces this kind of fruit? Is that you? Why? My speaking to anybody here today? Anybody? Life of Christ. The fruit in the life of Christ. Paul continues in verse 22. He says, but now you are free. That's good. Now you are free from the power of sin. You don't have to be over here. You can be over here. You're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God which is far better. Now you do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. He's saying, okay, you see all the way down there at the end of this at the end of this road, it's eternal life. Now again, it's not the good things that we do to go down that road that gives us that. And again, we'll get to that. I titled this message fresh fruit because that's what we get When we live our lives to Christ, when we are obedient to his voice, the product of listening and obeying the call to become a believer in Christ Jesus is eternal life. That's the very first fruit that you get. And as we see, you cannot be plucked out of the hand of God. You'll never lose that fruit ever. It's our spiritual destiny, church. But our lives here on this earth can yield fresh fruit today, or they can yield rotten rotten fruit today. Which bowl looks more appetizing? Okay. Who wants, who wants, see, even my daughter, she's like, ah, who wants to take a bite out of this? That, no, no, no. Who would love to cut up that mango, man? I love mangoes. Fresh fruit. Which bowl looks better? That's Paul's point. You have made, you have been made free from sin. Why would you go back to that bowl? Be obedient to Christ, it's far better. This leads us to what I call the ultimate choice that Paul brings. Verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I said that I would get to the point that says that, you know, hey, this is not a salvation by works message. Okay, this inside of this verse, we see that for the wages of sin is death through Adam. We inherited our sin nature. So all of us will meet death. Because we got it. It was inherited to us. We see from a child's age that they sin before they know Jesus. So he's speaking to physical death. Okay? But he's also addressing spiritual death as well, which is separation from Jesus Christ. He's talking about both. The ultimate disobedience is to reject the father's offer of faith. And if you got a pen and paper, I would suggest write that down. If you take nothing else away from this, I just pray that everybody understands what's ultimate disobedience, what's ultimate obedience. Ultimate disobedience is to reject the Father's offer of faith. And we only have so many days, people, before that offer is completely and finally and ultimately off the table, period. The ultimate obedience is to be persuaded to take God's free gift to salvation. Persuaded. Who's persuading, church? Does anybody, everybody, anybody want to say? Who's persuading? Matt. Go ahead. Okay. Awesome. That's great, man. The Holy Spirit, He is the one who persuades, okay? The Holy Spirit is persuading. Remember the Greek word that Paul used for obedience? It was to be persuaded of what is trustworthy. Well, who's persuading? The Holy Spirit's persuading. It's not me. It's not me saying, okay, I am going to, I'm going to white knuckle this thing and I'm going to get through. Okay. It is. And, and uh, I made this decision. No, you did not make this decision. The Holy Spirit persuaded you. It's to be persuaded that what Jesus said in John fourteen six is true, that he truly is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one can come to the father except through him. So Christina Rossetti was right. Obedience really is the fruit of faith. Isn't that awesome? Praise team. Y'all can come forward now. I have been praying all week, guys. I have been praying all week that God would do something great in somebody's life. I believe that some people are going to break free from the bondage of sin today and that others may meet Jesus and taste fresh fruit for the first time in their life. And you may be sitting there going, you know, you know, you're speaking to people that d- don't know Jesus. Okay. I'm speaking as Paul was speaking to both. Okay. Are you sitting here and you have not been listening to the voice of the Lord? The voice of the Lord has been telling you for some time now that you are to do a specific thing, but you have been shutting him down. The Holy Spirit saying, Hey, I want you to go over to this person over here, and I want you to invite them to church. What will they think, Lord, that's disobedience? If if, but why, right? Maybe maybe uh, the Holy Spirit has been trying to persuade you that that it's time, it's time to walk into obedience and to tithe. Okay, we just went through a big uh, big series inside of our base groups about it. And you've heard that, but you're saying, nope, not going to do that. Grace is not a license to sin, no matter the reason that we come up with. Sin will produce death every single time. Its fruit will always spoil in the life of Christ follower that chains himself up to sin. The Bible says that you can enjoy Uh, The fleeting pleasures of sin. Did you know that the Bible says that you can actually have fun in sin? But notice that it says that those pleasures are fleeting. It's like being dehydrated. It's like drinking Coke all the time, right, Matt? It's like drinking Coke all the time. You should get so dehydrated. It's it's not going to give you what you need. Jesus is going to give you everything that you need. It's stated like this in James 1.15. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Okay? It gives birth to death. So at the beginning of that verse, it says when sin is allowed. Who allows sin to grow? We do. Don't allow sin to grow inside of your life, church. I would like everyone to stand at this time. All eyes closed and all hearts open, please. All eyes closed and all hearts open. So, what has God on you about, church? Christian, I'm speaking to you right now. What are you being disobedient about? What are you willfully turning a deaf ear to God about? You know what it is. I could cite several, several, several different examples, but you know what you're being disobedient about. What Is is it a, a cycle of sin, a pattern that needs to be broken? Guys, today you can have healing. You can do as Paul urged the Roman church to do and repent, to turn away from your wicked ways and turn back to God, to crush the chains that you are obedient to and come back to the fresh fruit. So repent, church. Choose a better master. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal? I'm going to give one more example. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and not followed through in believer's baptism? We have an opportunity next week, guys. Do you know that the first act of obedience in the life of a believer is to get baptized? And that not following through with it only leaves one scenario. Only one that you're being disobedient to the call in your life, to make public what God publicly did for you. Do you not understand that God hung publicly on a cross for you? He was beaten publicly for you. Why won't you go public for him? Proclaim the grandeur of what he's done inside of your life. Why don't you change that scenario today? Make a decision. Do you not have this fresh fruit in your life to begin with? Have you not met Jesus? He wants to meet with you today, church. Actually, he wants to meet with you today. Have you ever been obedient to the persuasion of the Holy Spirit? You felt the persuasion. He's told you, I want to be your father. I want you to be my child. I love you. And you say, I don't think you're real, God. I don't think you're real. So, you know bump that. Okay. All right. The bottom line is that he wants to be your father and he can be your father today. And if you're a, in a moment, we're going to have an invitation And in both parties, people that are, have found Jesus and have been saved by his amazing grace. And those have, that have not will have a moment to come forward and make something, make a choice. But those that would say that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me that he wants me to obedient to him to to, He's trying to persuade me to be his child. If you're afraid to come forward because of what people may think. I can make you one promise. If you're afraid of judgment, I promise you, you will not receive that here. Instead, you will be flooded with love. Not just from those that want to celebrate and rejoice with you, but you will be flooded with the love of Jesus coming into your life and making his home in you. Come and see how great our father is. He can be your father today. At this time, you may make your way forward. Make a decision.